legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. In a fast-paced world... Every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. In a world where podcasts need feedback from their listeners Uh in order to market themselves appropriately to advertisers. I'm listening. One listener has the power (laughs) to shape the future. That listener is you all right jake look can we you can you guys just please fill out this listener survey for us it would really mean a lot uh accept your destiny <laughs> take control it's in the info it's in the description of the podcast itself it'll only take a couple of minutes and it's confidential we'll take no emails or telephone numbers we from don't you. require an email it, you know what it's fine we can just do it <laughs> You have the power. You are the force that will guide us. So once again, just click the link in the uh, show description uh, of this week's episode. You can find it in the podcast app. It's very easy. Okay, we're done here. Thank you so much. And uh, here's this week's episode. Hey, what's happening, everybody? It's your not quite as good, but arguably still pretty okay sequel, Bruiser Holden McNeely. And it's me, you're actually kind of transcending the original source material and becoming <laughs> a source of uh, imagination and inspiration for an entire generation of children cartoon spinoff, Jake Young. And today we are delving into Ghostbusters Part 2. That's right, Ghostbusters Part 2. Two, and we're not just talking about the sequel. We're talking about the animated show. We're talking about Bill Murray's fight to keep Ghostbusters 3 from ever <laughs> seeing the light of day. And we're talking about the reboot. And my God, do I have a lot of thoughts about the reboot. It all really came together. I have a bit of a thesis on the reboot. Um, because I was worried about talking about it, to be honest, and I do need you to like... What? Name even one giant (laughs) culturally loaded aspect of the (laughs) reboot that would make talking about it difficult. But that's why I like that you're here, because you can kind of hip-check me on this a little bit, because just in case I say something profoundly idiotic... I'm like, first, (laughs) like, it's literally my girl, it's literally Marie hip-checking me through (laughs) me into you, like one of those executive click-clack balls. Well, I have have a full-on really strong idea of um 
of what to say about it. Talking about Ghostbusters 1, by the way, uh, before I got here to the studio early, they were recording page seven. Marcus came upstairs. We started talking about the original Ghostbusters and Dan Aykroyd's script. And then I re- it really clicked in as we went into a very thorough discussion about the this film. The one movie where Dan Aykroyd was able to just write everything he wanted to write and put it all in there and even direct the film. You know what film that was? Nothing But Trouble? Yes! <laughs> so if you can only imagine what uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, the original Ghostbusters would have been like, well, I can give you exactly what it would have been like. Harold been like, Ramis with trouble. a fucking penis nose. Yes, exactly! Vigo the Carpathian just drooling nonsensically. Exactly. It, it is, uh, we really did, uh, Ivan Reitman and Harold Ramis really saved, really made it, it, I think, what it is today. But um, we're not talking about Ghostbusters 1 anymore, and we're not talking about the reboot yet. What we need to talk about is actually the reason why um, this became a full-on franchise, I think, um, at the end of the day, past... I mean, it's a very franchisable thing, and I think that, in fact, it's a victim of its own success in a lot of ways, because it was a franchised... It was a franchise film that was never meant to be a franchise, but how would you not create one? There's all this kid-friendly stuff in there, that, that like Slimer, you've got a logo, you've got a killer theme song. I mean, you it's got, like... It's, I mean, I hate to use the word, but it is very toyetic. Yes, there's it's lots very toyetic of like little gadgets and gizmos mm-hmm. and vehicles that mm-hmm. all contribute to the idea of a toy set. So, of course, there had to be a cartoon show. And uh, I did get to go back and watch. Well, I watched the one that I feel like people talk about the most that one episode from the real Ghostbusters, the one where they go to hell. Oh, where they open a the, portal to hell, the boatmen and all that jazz. Uh, there's a whole, there's all this craziness or whatever. I watched a bunch actually. I'm glad because you know what, I, I dude, especially the opening and ending credits of mm-hmm. the show. Like I was just hit with this profound wave of nostalgia. The way that they like dance in unison down the street and the closing credits with Slimer was like, whoa, I remember the shit out of this. So I don't know if we talked about, I feel like the most we've talked about this was actually during the Miyazaki episode. Ah. Uh, Hayao, not the Dark Souls guy. Um, Slimer used to go behind his house. I will fucking break (laughs) Several laptops all over your face. Slimer went behind his house. That's I understand. All I'm saying that's I'm not saying anything. Else. I understand. Uh, <laughs> and the fact is, is the way these were done is, you know, uh, the crew in America would write and storyboard them, and then most of the animation would be sent overseas. And so uh, the history of like merchandising is riddled with these basically high budget, high concept, like lavishly animated uh, pilots. There's one you can find for Mega Man. There's uh, the there's ones you can find for X Men. There's uh, ba- basically uh, someone would have the idea, and then they would send it off to a Japanese animation studio, and they would make like this powerhouse three minute trailer for the upcoming series. A lot of the cooler shots that you remember from that opening sequence with like you know the Ecto One bursting out of the firehouse and the ghost like kind of weaving in between trash cans before jumping into the logo. Those are all from that original pilot that was produced like. By some Japanese uh, animation house, and uh, it got approved. And a lot of things were different then. For one, Peter Venkman's design was way closer to Bill Murray. All the Ghostbusters were wearing the original, like, uniform tan suits. Yep. Uh, Slimer was absolutely a bad guy. Yep. But they did nail down a couple of things like, uh, you know, how the gear worked, how the special effects of the uh, proton or photon throwers would work. 
but uh, this early stage, all they needed was just to convince executives at ABC that a Ghostbusters cartoon would work, and they bought it. Uh, what happened was it got a order for 17 episodes based uh, just for exclusive like Saturday morning premieres on ABC and then like an additional 65 episodes or 60 something episodes for use in syndication. This was done uh, by Deke. Yes. And uh, do it cheap animation that was responsible for a lot of like kind of weird anti like kind of sideways union stuff and uh, a young writer uh, had kind of wandered into the Deke offices after working on, like, really just... I, I don't even remember the actual name of the original show he was working on, but, uh, like, something like Driver Bill and the Action Clan. You know, something dumb that, like, was forgotten to history. Uh, a young J. Michael Straczynski. Now, you're either going to be like, oh, shit, J. Michael Straczynski, or you're going to be like, who the fuck is J. Michael Straczynski? He is this, like, classic TV writer who's been attached to all sorts of things, from superhero comics to uh, Babylon 5 to mm -hmm. uh, everything in between. And he was given basically full reign to assemble a writing team and build up the series Bible and uh, kind of, like, flesh out uh, how the real Ghostbusters universe was going to work practically as a show. Not only that, but he fought tooth and nail with his animation directors to basically get final say in like the look and cut of everything. He would sit down for uh, the voice recordings. This was like J. Like Michael Straczynski's show, which is kind of unbelievable because it's an unprecedented amount of control that you get over what should be just like a you know an unfeeling corporate product. And I, I feel like... That unitary vision definitely helped forge what this show was. I have a figure here. It says he created nearly 54 hours of material for the real Ghostbusters. He also worked with some other really great writers. Uh, famed Star Trek writer David uh, Gerald, Gerald uh, as well as Bob Shuley and Mark McCorkle, who would later create Disney Channel's Kim Possible. Um, just a, just an, a pretty solid pedigree. And... Um, Man, the animation's pretty great on on a lot of it. it it's it's very basically. There just seems like that 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 it was a, maybe a fun gig for some animators. Certain episodes because you really got to play with a lot of crazy monsters and wild wild just stuff. The character designs and monster creation was done by an illustrator named Jim McDermott, and I got very excited when it turns out there was a Jim McDermott working for Rick and Morty. Because I was like, oh, shit, the same, like, goofy monster creator that I grew up with is, like, now making good. But no, it's different. That's James McDermott. I couldn't find any and relation. some kid with, like, spiky hair ran up to you and was like, Szechuan sauce. And you that were just was like, oh, one man. guy. He was trolling the Rick and I, I've, I've become a Rick and Morty reactionary on this. The idea that Rick and Morty fans are, like, giant, like, pus-filled goblins is, like, blown way out of proportion. It's a decent. You might as well, like, you might as well be like, oh, all Futurama fans constantly wag their dicks at bus stations. Mom, I need $50 for Szechuan sauce. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> I need $50. Um, also, other little things. Well, of course, it's called The Real Ghostbusters. They had to add that on. We talked about the lawsuits with Ghostbusters um, before. Um, Filmation was who created the cartoon Ghostbusters. Uh, it was a live-action comedy that ran on Saturday mornings, but I think they were creating a cartoon version of it at the time um no, I know, they rushed out the door to get right? it 
and you know they were fucked. You know they were they weren't like trying to. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't like parallel thinking serendipity yeah. because the original live action show was called the Space Ghost Space Busters, right? And their new animated cartoon uh, was just called Ghostbusters No Space. Like they knew what they were doing. Also, uh, I have a quote from Lou Scheimer, uh, the Filmation co-founder, that was outraged mm-hmm. at what happened with their property, the Ghostbusters. He said, well, I think they ripped us off. Fact is, when I first heard of it, I read it in the trades. I can't remember which trade it was. I said, that's ridiculous. That's our show. That's our premise. That's our concept. I feel like the concept and premise a little different, though. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a little different. Also, Slimer, which is, th- this is one of those funny things people don't remember. It's kind of like the Luke, I am your father for Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Slimer was, didn't have a name until the episode Citizen Ghost on the real Ghostbusters. Everybody thinks that people were calling Slimer Slimer in the first movie, but no, not at all. Um, in fact, he was just referred to as Green the, onion ghost. Head, the Onion Head Ghost. What? By apparently cast and crew. And also Ackroyd called him, just referred to him as the ghost of John Belushi. Oh, I. That's uh, what I read. In uh, early marketing materials and like old uh, Kenner toys. It was just the green ghost. It was just the green ghost. And he looked completely different because they were run, you know, all this merchandising was being run off of uh, like the pilot. And in the pilot, Simer was like legit a villain. Uh, one of my, I mean, one one of the best facts about the real Ghostbusters is the Ernie Hudson oh. uh, situation, right? Yeah. I mean, he, Ernie Hudson, which we talked about, I believe, last time, but I do have a good quote about it. Ernie Hudson auditions for his role, but it is given to Ar- Arsenio Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ernie Hudson had this to say. It was funny because they said, you don't have to audition for the part, but the director wants to hear you read the material. So I went in to read the material and the guy said, no, 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 that's all wrong. When Ernie Hudson did it in the movie and I'm like, well, wait a minute. I am Ernie Hudson. I don't know. I guess I was just there to have the director get on my nerves. Uh, he Apparently he and Arsenio Hall, though, are friends and there is no uh, beef between the two. So it at least there's that. stunning. Like between this and the way he was fucked over with his role being rot, like because uh, Ernie Hudson did have a very short stint in the Marine Corps and it was important to like the character when he auditioned that Winston was like a military man. And then when he arrived to film, like none of that was in the movie. Uh, it's it's Ernie Hudson, man. God bless him. He's a trooper, but they did not give him enough respect. No, not at all. Um, uh, I'm one of my favorite crossovers because it's so recent. Like we just did the Garfield episode. Lorenzo Music voiced Peter Venkman. Lorenzo Music, the voice of Garfield. Um, until Bill Murray remarked to producers that he sounded more like Garfield than Vankman, uh, which is kind of incredible because, of course, Bill Murray ends up voicing Garfield in the Garfield movie. I it love gets, it. It gets even weirder. This actually, one, I of love the, this. one of the big strengths of the real Ghostbusters was the voiced cast. This is like kind yeah. of a legend. This is like basically a murderer's row of people who you want voicing your animated program because in the room, which they recorded together all in the same space so they could actually play off of each other uh was arsenio hall lorenzo music frank welker who is this like i we have we've talked about frank welker he does like every animal voice every he was the voice of fred he's the voice of a million things he's a living uh the voice of megatron living fucking legend in the world of voice acting and Maurice LaMarche, who was this incredibly incredibly versatile voice actor. He did the voice of The Brain, um, along with a bunch of other impressions on The Critic, which is why he's close to my heart. Mm. Um, 
It stinks. We got to do yeah. a critic episode. Uh, Maurice LaMarche's story that he tells is he did the voice of Egon and he was explicitly told not to do an impression of Harold Ramis. Ah. And so he did an impression of Harold Ramis and got the job. Whoever so was much. running this fucking audition was really just fucking bonkers. It got to the point where, uh, you know, because Lorenzo Music was technically a successful television producer. That he would sometimes miss, like, uh, miss readings, and other members of the voice cast between Welker and Maurice LaMarche would sometimes fill in for him without it, like, being uh, revealed, without, like, without actually, like, you know, making a big deal about it. And that enters into the fact that in modern day Garfields, in the bad CG Garfield, it's Frank Welker doing a Lorenzo music impression, <laughs> doing the voice of Garfield. So it, it's just, I, I don't know. The world of voice actors is incredibly fascinating to me. Yeah, um, for sure. The show is and a it massive has th- hit. Such a cool cast, and the show is a huge hit uh, with they, kids. They do an amazing job of balancing like genuine heart. There is some legit terrifying imagery in this and show. you saw some episodes did you have some personal experiences with that or, or is this more stuff to relate um, from just there's scary ass monsters in this the uh, one of the most fascinating ones is the one where uh, where Egon has to confront the boogeyman which is this like terrifying giant goat faced thing that literally lives off of scaring children and it kind of like gives backstory to why Egon dedicated his life to developing technology to fight ghosts some early ones that are amazing is uh, when Halloween was forever, which has mm. an incredibly high animation budget, like insane amounts of like quality. I don't know what Japanese studio they got to do this, uh, but that involves Sam Hain, this pumpkin-headed ghost of Halloween, kind of like freezing time on Hall- on All Hallows Eve. Uh, another great one is uh, Citizen Ghost. Uh, take two involves the cast it. of the real Ghostbusters. So, yeah, traveling to Hollywood, they consult on a movie based on their adventures, shown in the cast list. Uh, Winston Zedmore says, Murray, Ackroyd, Ramis? What's that, a law firm? <laughs> and uh, yeah, you actually, they see actual clips, right, from the yeah. movie. Um, awesome idea. I, I, that's so much fun. And the ways that the show differentiated itself from the original movie, making the uh, characters more visually distinct with different hair colors and different body types and different uh, colored jumpsuits, and the way that they kind of built the mythology so that, like, ghosts aren't technically dead people really in this show. They're, Mm -hmm. like, interdimensional kind of trespassers into our world. It's 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 amazing. Uh, any episode where they actually got to go into the containment unit always freaked me out because it was like just the concept of this loaded like bomb just of spiritual with. fuckery mm-hmm. right in the heart of their base. Always like that's a fascinating idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the show was literally the number one rated uh, animated program among children. Uh, ruled its time slot. And, and of this course, is from 1986 to 1991 on ABC. So, of course, the executives at ABC came up to J. Michael Straczynski and was like, you have succeeded wildly beyond your dreams by sticking to your guns and uh, having complete creative control. Let's wrench it from you and add the junior Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Also, uh, Janine's too sassy. She should be more of a motherly figure. Let's, like, uh. make Janine uh, suckier. Also, <laughs> you know what the kids really love? They don't like these cool 
cool adults fighting ghosts. They love Slimer. We should add more Slimer. Yep. In fact, make the whole show an hour and devote half of it to Slimer. Slimer and the real Ghostbusters is what the show turned into on the fourth season in 1988. Uh, uh, as you said, it had a much more youthful tone following Slimer haunting the Sedgwick Hotel with characters like singing ice cream truck driver Chili Cooper and Italian pizza chef, what was his name? Luigi. Luigi. <laughs> I watched one episode of Slimer Excellent point and it was dog shit i don't think i remember slimer um here's why because the show having adopted all this kitty bullshit that was insulting the audience's intelligence because marketing executives don't recognize that people don't want to be like pandered to they do but like not cynically it's very weird <laughs> like they you should give people what they want like what you think they would like but you shouldn't just be like these yahoos don't know what they uh and uh, the ratings crashed, and they brought in Straczynski towards the end to try and, like, uh, re- kind of save it. But by that point, the animation budget had been slashed, ratings never quite came back, and the uh, show had gone away. But it inspired an amazing line of toys. Like, one of the greatest. This was, I collected Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and I fucking loved Ghostbusters, man. I had the firehouse with the pole that like kind of looped around i went through can after can of ecto dash yes i had the slime i had um i don't know if i had all four of them but i definitely had ghostbusters i'm pretty sure i had slimer um i don't think i had the ecto one lexi said she had the ecto one um uh, as a kid, for sure. Now, but. did you have the weird uh, Ghostbuster variants where, like, the fright feature one, where, right. like, if you squeeze their legs, their face would contort? I definitely remember those. I'm not sure if I actually had them, but I definitely, like, played with them at friends' houses. I, I remember the commercials for those. Yes. The weirdest ones? I barely remember these, but I had one, and I, like, broke it immediately. You had to, like, wind them up and then, like, jam a ghost into their, like, belly button and then they would just spaz the fuck out i know spaz is a loaded term but it is the only accurate (laughs) word i can use to describe the movement of this plastic action figure (laughs) um the uh ghost popper gun the proton pack everything just like it it just felt cool and and they weren't guns that's the other thing is that you weren't shooting humans it wasn't like hyper violent lasers yeah yeah it was really just genuinely good well that's why it works so well on a kid level right so the show, uh, the show when it was good was transcendently good. The uh, toys were addictive. They were making money after money after money. But everyone involved knew something important, and that is the lasting toy franchises never can rest on just one movie. Yep. They need another movie, and it was like pulling teeth to get this to happen. So the studio pressures Ackroyd, Ramis, and Reitman to make a sequel after the success of the first film and the animated series, but they, of course, are reluctant. They feel the first film is conclusive, and it really does feel conclusive. And again, it's almost like a, their their success almost... Bat, like, just that logo is killer. That sounds, <laughs> that theme song is killer. So good that they had to use it for the cartoon as well. It is so memorable, and it is so franchise 
crazy. Just the Ecto-1, <laughs> everything, the suits. It's just so iconic and specifically that and something that people want to see more and more and more of. So they have this four-hour lunch meeting held in early 1988 at Jimmy's in Beverly Hills, mainly to see if they all could reunite. Um, and that did have Bill Murray in there as well as CAA manager uh, or agent, rather, Michael Ovitz and CAA's head of business affairs, Ray Kurtzman, all met with Ackroyd, Ramis, and Reitman. And they just have a fucking blast. I wish I could have been at this lunch. A four hour long, just everybody's riffing, having so much fun. Just, 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 it's just a total success. It was so much fun that they decide to move forward with the script and a budget of 25 to $30 million supplied for the film. So the whole thing was they start off with this script. Uh, it was nicknamed The Last of the Ghostbusters by Bill Murray. And that was namely to keep the third uh, third movie from being made. So even here, even before <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, which arguably, you know, well, well, definitely did not do as well, definitely was maybe, you know, not as good by certain standards. I mean, it made as much money in its first week as Ghostbusters did in total. So, like, sure. it's, it's you know, inflation, the you know, what it means to have a blockbuster kind yeah. of, like, shifts. It's That's all... true. But it's also, again, I think it's more in terms of the quality that Murray wants, the quality that the, the guys want, not necessarily how well it does financially and stuff. Especially at this point when... His career is completely skyrocketing, and he's also starting to transition into, like, today Murray. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, he wants to do art films. He wants to do... You know, he wants to do. Uh, I think. I think even even if he's not saying it and he's not acting in them yet, he's starting to want these things. You know uh, what I mean? He describes in interviews. I found this weird YouTube channel where like someone literally like just during the height of Ghostbusters two hype in 1989, just recorded every single like interview and Inside Edition and Entertainment Tonight piece on the show on mm -hmm. the movie, and like he just has this mythical VHS that he just dumped onto YouTube. Um, Bill Murray talks about how uh, he had kind of like put himself in a self-imposed uh, sabbatical or uh, what's a fancy word for vacation? Um, Recess. Re yeah. Uh, <laughs> from from working too hard because uh, he uh, his mother actually was uh, diagnosed with cancer and ah. it made him reevaluate a lot of things. Yes. So like the last thing on his mind uh, would be to like churn out another like movie for the studios. Also. I swear to God, in a lot of interviews, he keeps bringing up the fact that, like, he would, you know, his parents would be like, oh, that's Bill, like, not his parents, but, like, he would meet his friends' kids, and, you know, they'd, he didn't, they'd introduce him and be like, oh, you know, he's Peter Venkman, and the kid, like, holding his Peter Venkman action figure would be like, that's not Peter fucking Venkman, <laughs> you piece of fucking shit, you're just some old shithead. He said this about the title, it's not going to be called Ghostbusters 2, we'll burn in hell if we call it Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> I've suggested the last of the Ghostbusters to make sure we, there won't be anything like a Ghostbusters 3. It was actually uh, the name of the first uh, script was Ghostbusters The Seed. Um, this was the unused script um, in which Dana is kidnapped and taken to Scotland where she discovered a fairy ring and civilization underground. Keyword underground because that is one thing that sticks. Ackroyd has this to say about Ghostbusters The Seed. 
My first draft was really too far out. It was probably too inaccessible, though I thought at the time I wrote it that it was the direction we should go in. I wanted to leave New York City behind because I thought we had done that. But New York is really the greatest arena for our kind of ghost story, and staying in the city gave continuity to the second film. One idea that did stay in our script was the notion of having things occur underground. We went skyward in the first film, up to the top of the skyscraper, so I thought for the second one, it would be nice to see the underbelly of the city. But my original concept for going underground was different. It involved a pneumatic tube 2,000 miles long that they traveled in for three days. It was like a primitive mail chute. <laughs> and that was from an a interview, I guess, in Cinefix magazine, numero number 40. Um, so, of course, as tradition has it from the first film, this is around when Harold Ramis gets involved and, like last time, drastically changes the script. Um, the first two ideas that they had for this new script was the River of Slime and the moral notion, I really think this is interesting, and the moral notion that negative human emotions have consequences and can be built up in cities like New York City and Los Angeles. That is actually a great concept. Great concept. And, and I really And I love, and again, and this is kind of the point I'll get to later with the reboot. That concept implies a certain level, I think, of heart. And um, even if, like, you know, it's th- that movie definitely has its flaws. I love how they always have a central theme, like New York being a character in the first movie and how everyone can come together to, to you know, cause to, to for good in, in a big city like that. And then this kind of having, like, almost the opposite, but still... Um, you know, a, a concept that is thematic and is and they can make prevail prevail throughout the film to give a, a certain kind of um, just to have a little deeper meaning going on within this big Hollywood movie. You know um, what I mean? I don't know when I when else I'll be able to drop uh, this factoid, but apparently they used a hundred thousand gallons of <laughs> methicil gel in order to create all the slime in the movie. Yeah, oh, wow. Uh, which is short for methyl cellulose, which is used often yes. uh, in alien-type movies, yep. goopy movies. Just that uh, stuff. It is a food-grade lubricant and emulsifier, and is an excellent cure for constipation. Oh, and it was also, I feel like we've talked about this before, when we talk about like TV shows and movies of, around this time, like Ninja Turtles and stuff like that. Like everything was just so slimy. Everyone was just, <laughs> everything was just covered in sticky goo back then. It was like nobody could get enough of it. We just wanted barrels of the shit. Ooze and slime you and all this, of it. You say this like this isn't an isolated point in time, but the human mind is fascinated by something which is neither solid nor liquid. In <laughs> fact, if you go to YouTube, ask actually ask uh, you should actually you should actually ask your female friends about this. Uh, ask them if they're into slime videos on YouTube because that huh. is like a multi-million dollar Weird. industry of like this aesthetic surrounded by creating and and like uh, customizing your own slimes. <laughs> Um, so that was uh, your slime corner with Holden and Jake. Now we're going to go back to that script, Ghostbusters, The Seed. Uh, this At this point, they have slime. They've got that this moral notion about negative human emotions. But next, they, they need, um, they have Peter Venkman and Dana Barrett getting married and having a child. The infant being possessed and getting adult agility and focus. They deem the marriage angle too boring and the baby angle 
too horrifying. <laughs> so they dropped that. They decided to just revise it to just having Dana be a divorced mother. Um, and they're also and, and obviously also the baby being sort of the the evil entity trying to get the baby, but not necessarily um, taking it over and making it into a uh, an adult baby, which mm-hmm. would be pretty upsetting, I think. So I am glad they probably stuck away from that. Um, and then they were also either trying to have them move to the top of a fancy skyscraper and being a giant success with Ghostbusters Inc., you mm-hmm. know, being like this big sort of fancy corporation or starting right from where the last movie left off. And I do, I will say, I think that both of those ideas to me sound more interesting than have them just kind of reset like they do in Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2, it just feels like they just reset back to the beginning of Ghostbusters 1 in a weird way. You know I what mean, I mean? The reveal of the children's birthday party is pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's like a good twist. Yeah. But the idea that like all of New York would immediately be like, fuck you after what happened in the first movie. Right. It's like, there was kind of there nuts. were ghost taxi drivers. Like, everybody knows there's <laughs> ghosts. Um, so uh, there was a collaborative draft that was produced on August 5th, 1988, and this draft contains the general premise we see in the final film. The crew gets back together for a couple of years after the first film to save a mother's child from Vigo. The Carpathian. The Carpathian. Vigo the Carpathian. Um, And the only ghosts in this first draft are Vigo and some of my favorite ghosts in the whole franchise, the Scolari Scolari Brothers. I love the Scolari (laughs) Brothers. They're awesome. Um, And and they're probably my favorite part of the Scolari Brothers. (laughs) I sent them to the chair. Um, And there's actually some really cool Scolari Brothers merch out there. There was like a t-shirt I was eyeing that looked pretty rad. There was like a cool kind of animation of them or drawing of them. Um, And Dana actually in this draft is replaced by a new love interest, Lane Walker. And so uh, how do you say his name? Janos? Janos Poha? Uh, Janos. Janos, right? Janos Poha. I guess you can tell by the way I'm saying this. I did not end up catching Ghostbusters 2 before this. I ended up watching the reboot and the animated show. But I will say this. I watched Ghostbusters 2 about 100 times probably back when I was a kid. So I I, I do remember a lot. I just can't remember how to pronounce it. Well, the thing about Janos is that uh, in the script, he was actually just a random, like, shitty guy named Jason. Okay, yeah. And it was actor Peter McNichol, who just had way too much free time in his trailer, uh, thought of the idea of making him also Carpathian and then having to invent a weird accent uh, working on the lore and mythology of Carpathia. I do love him in in this movie. He is a lot of fun in this movie. People give him shit. It's like, oh, the Ali McBeal guy. But he's when he has those weird flashlight eyes, Uh that's... I shat my tiny pants when I was a kid. And uh, so he wasn't really in this script at this point. And the River of Slime is actually not in this script either. It was instead, it was insects, which would have been gross. That's super. It's too many Wrigley's. So filming begins on November 28th, 1988 in NYC. After, I'm sure, some more revisions after that one kind of got it more to where we are now. They definitely did a pass on that to make the movie more in line with the uh, cartoon because uh-huh. Jan- uh, Janine's character is completely different. Slimer, they had a lot more. They, I think they had a lot more going on with Slimer. There was a whole subplot with Slimer. They made slime. They didn't go as far as to make Slimer like a like their pet, but they made Slimer like an ally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's him and Ernie Hudson. Maybe have this weird plot subplot, or maybe it's not. Maybe it's um Moranis. 
No, it, it's Moranis. Moranis has, has a, this weird subplot with Slimer where they end up becoming like best friends. Yeah, he keeps like eating his lunch and they become best friends and they largely cut down on that. Um, and uh, so filming begins November 28th, 1988 in New York City, and they had a very tight schedule of 67 days. After a while, scenes had to be added to clarify story points or extend certain parts of the movie, which is not the best sign, right? Mm-hmm. And they're relying heavily on test audiences, I noticed. Like, they're literally adding scenes and removing shit based on what test audiences are saying. It just seems like one of those movies where they really hammered that home, and you didn't really hear a lot about that in the first film. And and I don't know, again, how useful test audiences can be sometimes. They felt like the ghosts, Slime, and Vigo had to be tied together better. They just felt, mm-hmm. like, disparate. They had to clarify the concepts. they were. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't really. That was, that's a good call. Also, and this is a funny one, they needed to clarify the concept of good and bad Slime. Good and bad <laughs> Slime. Also, um, the impaled heads and the ghost train. Was added. I'm kind of shocked about the ghost train <laughs> was an added scene. It does actually, when you look back on it, it is kind of on its own, like in its own little section of the movie. And, you know, you could see how it could be tacked on. But just kind of surprising because I feel like it's one of the more iconic moments of Ghostbusters, too. People brag on this movie for kind of repeating a lot of the like notes of Ghostbusters, but. Honestly, I'm I can never be mad at more Ghostbusters. Like a lot of people are are were mad at the how the Statue of Liberty thing just kind of comes out of nowhere, and how it kind of mirrors the State yeah, Pop Marshmallow. Yeah. Thing. But like I literally can't hear the song Higher and Higher I by Jackie Wilson yeah, so without good. thinking of Dan Aykroyd working a fucking Nintendo controller, yeah. marching the Statue of Liberty through the streets of New York. That was like I, great. I can't hate it. I love your love. Is lifting me high. That was pretty ge- great, and I get. And I, I ever been lifted before? And I get, and I get that too. And at the same time, it, it there are a lot of similar beats. Again, it's just it's just like to have it start, you know, with them kind of at the bottom again, and then to have it end with like this big giant in the city and everyone like coming to their side. You're just kind of like, oh, okay, okay, it's fine, you know, but. It's that's the thing is it gets this reputation for being this giant disappointment, but like I there's so many worse sequels in this oh, world. Oh, for sure. And I like I said, as much as I'm sitting here like criticizing it, I mean I must have seen it a gazillion times. Like when I was a kid, that bathtub scene always freaked me the fuck oh, out. Oh, that bathtub scene's so fucked up. Um uh yeah, it, it had so many good When they make that the the dancing toaster, I love that dancing toaster. on like as as a as an adult, obviously, I appreciate Ghostbusters one more for its like kind of more grounded uh, world building. But as a kid, like Ghostbusters two was more like the cartoon, ah. and I fucking love the cartoon. Vigo so, was pretty f- freaky. He uh, was pretty frightening. The of course Vigo's uh, actor uh, was dubbed over by famed uh, kind of legendary thespian Max von Sydow. The Vigo actor did not realize this had happened until the premiere, and he stormed out of the theater before it was over in a in a rage. Why? Because <laughs> he was an actor, and they fucking replaced him with Max von Sydow. <laughs> so that means he just stood there with like yeah. makeup and like in front of special effects for hours. Well, also, did he not know before he came to the movie that that happened? No one. Why gave wouldn't him they the... tell him? Why wouldn't they tell him that? Whose would... job is it to tell the weird European man? <laughs> 
uh, a couple little things. Uh, 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 well, a bunch uh, and some big things. 180 special effect shots were needed for this. I think it was 160 last time. I'm not really. I can't really remember. Um, but either way, a lot of shit. Um, you've got the Scolari brothers. They were based on actual real life Scolari brothers. Tony and Nunzio were their names in the movie. <laughs> Um, they're based off real life Scolari, Scolari brothers who once robbed Harold Ramis's father, Nate Ramis's store. Oh. And their design was actually based on the Blues Brothers. Um, it was also cool because you had Slimer and the Scolari brothers were, were done by guys um, in like fat suits, wearing masks. At least the big Scolari brother was in a fat suit. Um, and uh, Slimer was actually a puppet in the first film. And I definitely want to note this part of Ghostbusters 2 because we're going to come back to this in the discussion about the reboot but I think that Slimer using puppets using real people in costumes with effects added looks really cool and looks really crazy and like like freaky in a way that is tangible and interesting and we will get back to that not only that but the like the way that um, the use of optical like ghost uh, practical shots uh-huh. uh, mirrored the ways that ghosts were portrayed. You know, that's how you did ghosts in movies since like the silent film era. Uh-huh. And it kind of lends itself to like, it's almost part of the Ghostbusters aesthetic that this like ethereal, transparent, you know, reflected on a pane of glass and like kind of done in camera shot. It's it's like part of the Ghostbusters aesthetic is and what I'm trying it, to say. Lo- and it also, I mean, even if you look at like freaky photos of ghosts, I think it mimics that look really well. Um, and and so it's just so good, good to have. Uh, I think or those effects look great. I think. So at one point, the crew was aiming for a July 4th release date, but Ivan Reitman decided on June 23rd. In the middle of production, though, the crew learned that Batman fucking... The, you Tim know, Burton's Batman. Yeah, the bat like that Batman uh, was slated to release on the 23rd. So Reitman asked the studio for the 16th, much to the rest of the crew's dismay. Michael Gross recalls um, that e- editor Sheldon Kahn fainted. <laughs> which is uh, which is pretty crazy. It's actually kind of ironic. That was from the wiki. You know, this they they dragged their heels and made such like uh you know, it was such a production quote unquote to get mm-hmm. Ghostbusters 2 out the door, but by the time it finally came out, movies like Batman and Honey I Shrunk the Kids kind of dwarfed it. Like, you know, it was only the number one movie for a single week and kind of uh, the the landscape had kind of shifted from beneath their feet by the time Ghostbusters 2 had come out. So Ghostbusters 2 comes out. It receives criticism for, as we said, having a rehashed plot that's like less funny than the first film. People also didn't like that Lewis and uh, Janine get together. Uh, in the animated series and in the original movie, it was clearly intended. Janine and Egon. Yeah. Yeah, Janine and Egon were supposed to be together. Uh, but they- in the fanship community, it's Janine Egon. Janine, yeah, exactly, right? That, I, I made that. It up. literally, it, it, this choice literally split the timeline of the franchise <laughs> into two canons, uh, which is kind of amazing. And also, they deemed it like almost a little too scary for kids. But this is what I have to say about that. That I, one shot where the baby gets all Vigo-fied is like pretty freaky. That's freaky. But I will say, didn't the first film have enough in it that would be deemed too scary for kids? The librarian alone, I remember being like, a, that was like a 
put your hands over your eyes moment when you were a kid. I, you know what yeah. I mean? I don't think I actually saw the ghost, that librarian ghost in the first Ghostbusters until like years after it came out and I rewatched it and finally like didn't do that. You know what I mean? The other, by the way, the other big one, Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure. Oh. During the clown, like Large Marge, yes, mm-hmm. but the clown freaked me out. I had to hide behind the couch every time, and I loved that movie. I watched it over and over again. Every time the clown thing happened with the chains, I had to jump behind the couch. Well, and clowns hide. are innately unholy creatures that are unsettling to any healthy human psyche, will, so that's... Really- I will say this, though. Kudos to that clown. That's the only clown what got me. The It clown ever freaked me out? None of them. Just that one for some reason. I don't Not know even why. in the reboot understand. where it's got the fucked up mouth? No. Huh. No, I was fine. I'm fine with all that. I'd let that clown suck my dick, dude. <laughs> but the fucking clown in Pee Wee Herman's Big Adventure? Fuck that shit, okay? Let's go to the big top, all right? I can't handle it here. Anywho. <laughs> uh, so, Ghostbusters 2, did you love it as well before we move on to um, the other the other things? Uh, in my heart, I love it, but I'll be <laughs> honest, I don't... You know, I never really revisit the film. No, I I don't. Um, I definitely revisit the first one, but the second one, if it's on, I will I will chill. If it's on, I will let it let that baby roll. All right. Uh, the I will say the majority of my energy was spent uh, researching the TV show and the Kenner toys. Not on you know not intentionally. It's just that's where my love of Ghostbusters is the strongest. Are there any more Kenner toys you want to talk about? Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Okay, well, first of all, it's bullshit that the fire pole in the fire in the firehouse is like on a weird twisty platform because you're a kid, you don't understand how screw mechanics work, so you just jam it up like without twisting it and you break the fucking thing. If you have a firehouse in your attic with the functioning fire pole because your shitty kid didn't break it immediately that's worth primo bucks on eBay really oh yeah um i uh with i wish i had that i had the the ninja turtle sewer and i had the technodrome but i didn't have as cool of uh ghostbusters gear like not nearly i'm trying to i'm trying to rack my brain for what i had i know i just had a couple of the busters you know what I mean? I remember proton packs. I remember plastic, like, laser beams or whatever. The, oh, wait. Well, there was the foam laser beam, and then there was the popper. Then there was the light projector. <laughs> I don't even know. Oh, I had the popper. I lost. Like, I would lose them for, like, months on end and then, like, find one, like, dusty in the couch <laughs> and be like, oh, thank God. Um, <laughs> and then you'd suck on it. I would not suck on you, it. You would. I would not. Not um, in a dirty way, but you just, you know. The fucking, what did I have? I had like this, there was a line of like uh, haunted humans. Haunted humans were these just like kind of basically, you know, innocent bystanders that would uh, like, you would twist open their face and reveal like just open gnawing cool, moths yeah. that would turn them into fucked up creatures. That's kind of Beetlejuice inspired as well. It a was. Bit. They might as well have been Beetlejuice toys. Yeah. Uh, specifically, Granny Gross. Oh my god, Granny! I would like, I would like be scared to play with it because it was so fucked up. <laughs> um. So, anyways, also if you find a can of the ectoplasm, uh, and you know it's you know it's over, it's thirty years old at this point. Just soak it in water Ugh. for a couple of days, and the Ugh. gel will reabsorb it and you can play with it no yeah don't do that no it's it's safe it's non-toxic send us a picture of that (laughs) send us a youtube video of that hey everybody it's me your woolly wizard jake here once again to talk about this week's sponsor keeps uh maybe you've noticed that you have a little less hair than you used to have but you're not sure if there's a real solution Here's the thing, there actually are two clinically proven medications that let you keep your hair, and now they're as inexpensive and easy to get as they have ever been before. 
You don't need to lose all your hair if you don't want to. And that's why I have to tell you about Keeps. For five minutes now and just a dollar a day, you'll never have to worry about your hair loss again. I've used these treatments in the past and it was a nightmare to get a hold of them and it was a huge hit in the wallet and my experience with Keeps has been revolutionary. I honestly wish I could go back in time and just like tell my past self that there was a better way to do this. Uh, getting started with Keeps is so easy. Sign up takes less than five minutes. You just answer a few questions and snap some photos on your phone or your tablet or your webcam enabled device, you weird nerds. I know some of you do that. Then a licensed doctor remotely reviews your information and recommends the right treatment plan for you, all without ever having to go to an office or see anyone in person. What Keeps offers are generic versions of the only two FDA-approved hair loss products out there. I've tried them in the past, but I've never gotten them this easy or for this price. Keeps is only $10 to $35 a month. Plus, now you can get your first month free? Am I reading that? It's free? Okay, well, that's a hell of a deal for getting to keep your hair. There's no reason to put this off any longer. The way hair loss works, the earlier you start, the more hair you'll eventually keep, and in some cases, maybe even regrow a little. Stop hair loss today the easy way with Keeps. To receive your first month of treatment for free, that's free, go to keeps.com slash wizard. That's K-E-E-P-S dot com slash wizard. That's a free month of treatment at keeps.com slash wizard. Keeps. Hair today. Hair tomorrow. Now, Ghostbusters 2's out. Big hit, obviously, with the financially, all that good stuff. Of course, the studio wants more. As always with any franchise, once it's there, it ain't going anywhere. Bill Murray has this to say. We did a sequel, and it was sort of rather unsatisfying for me. Because the first the first one to me was the goods. It was the real thing. And the sequel, you know, was... It was a few years later. There was an idea pitched, and it was like, well... They got us all together in a room. We just laughed for a couple of hours. And then we said, what if we did another one? Here's an idea. So they said, so they had this idea, but it didn't turn out to be the idea when I arrived on the set. They'd written a whole different movie than the, than the one. And the special effects guys got it and got their hands on it. And it was just not the same movie. There were a few great scenes in it, but it wasn't the same movie. So there's never been an, in, in, an interest in a third Ghostbusters because the second one was kind of disappointing, for me anyway. Reitman says, Bill Murray was always the holdout. I think he was just not interested. He loves Ghostbusters and he appreciated all the good that it did for all of us. But he just wanted to pursue different things as an actor. And at the same time, he didn't want to do anything that would solely the other movies. So they are pitching. I mean, we're talking about you probably remember this. I mean, if you're a fan, you definitely remember this. Every just, couple of years, every there couple would, it's going to happen. And, and they just constantly pitching ideas to uh to Bill Murray and by them it's Aykroyd and Reitman mainly pitching these ideas Aykroyd wrote one script Ghostbusters Hellbent back in 1999 <laughs> and that had Vinkman leaving the Ghostbusters with Dana Barrett and the guys with the new young member fought souls that had been evicted from a hellish version of Manhattan known as Manhelton. This pun does not work on any level. <laughs> ben Stiller was looked at to replace Murray, um, and the title was changed to Ghostbusters in Hell. Uh, so the thing was, was too, Bill Murray always said that he would only do another Ghostbusters if he got killed in the very beginning. That was always his big thing. He was like, I'll do it, but you have to kill me off in the very beginning of the movie. Um, 
which probably wouldn't have been the best for fans of the franchise. It probably, you know, but th- this was not a bad idea. Um, not not a terrible idea. Ben Stiller, I think he might have been able to pull off a pretty charming, like, new Ghostbuster. Mm-hmm. Could have been a lot of fun. Uh, in this film, there is a portal to an alternate dimension in which all the worst things about modern or urban life are magnified. Traffic is stuck in perpetual gridlock, and no two people speak the same language. This is kind of an expansion on... Um Dan Aykroyd's original pitch for Ghostbusters, which involved like alternate realities and space travel and like basically just exploring the full capacity of extra reality storytelling. Uh-huh. And and, and so and and it was kind of I think Reitman wasn't super behind this one uh, uh, as much. And it definitely sounds like another crazy Aykroyd script that needed to be sort of pulled down and grounded. Uh, Reitman had another one uh, that he was working on with Aykroyd. Uh, This is his quote. Bill and Sigourney's kid Oscar is a post-grad student and weird things start to happen. Bill Murray dies in the first scene (laughs) because he always said, I won't do it unless I die. And I said, okay, you got it. It was a father-son story with him as a ghost. By the way, the studio greenlit it. Everything was ready to go. I couldn't get Bill's attention. And in the midst of that, Harold got really sick and that was pretty much it and so the other part of this this story is unfortunately Harold Ramis passes away and that kind of put the nail in the coffin pun not intended I've heard this story this is hearsay but apparently one version of the script was sent to Bill Murray and it was returned to Dan Aykroyd shredded in an envelope yes uh well I mean I definitely know he definitely, I saw a quote where he was just like, yeah, he just read a couple pages of it and he just, he just hit him up and was like, I just can't, buddy. I just can't do this. Um, and I, and I get that. And at the end of the day, and we'll kind of come back around to this, I think Bill Murray was right, man. I think Bill Murray was right. And I will, I will, I will talk about this. I will, I will lay out my thesis for why. Um, I think that he might have kind of been right. Um, there was one version of the kind of uh, reboot fever that Dan Aykroyd was pushing heavily in interviews that involved uh, having no on-screen actors and having it all be recorded uh, in voiceovers and then having it just be done in CG, mm-hmm. having it just be an animated movie because that would require less of a commitment from yes. Bill Murray. Which kind of ended up happening, which we'll get to in just a second. I'll finish out with this unfortunate quote from Harold Ramis. We created it together, so we owned it. The studio couldn't do it without us. The deal was actually too good. None of us could do it on our own. We had to get a unanimous agreement among all four of us, which is frankly impossible, so it just languished there. But there was a little video game that could. Uh, So this video game, which essentially took a plot that they had worked on, uh, a script treatment essentially that they had worked on, they... We're able to make it into a video game. This is a third-person shooter, and you play as, quote-unquote, the rookie. Um, It's Ghostbusters the Video Game, developed by Terminal Reality and published by Atari and Sony. Terminal Reality also did the Blood Rain video game, Blair Witch Volume 1, Rustin Parr, and that fucking awful Star Wars Connect game. Oh. Yeah, they did that terrible Star Wars Connect game. uh, That terrible Star Wars Connect game actually was, uh, it's a minigame collection with like individual studios working. Okay. So- they it, might have been one of the better mini games. Hopefully, maybe. I guess the I heard the lightsaber combat one was pretty good. Not the one where you had to. Not the uh, what was it? Just dance parody where you had to sing songs like "I'm riding solo," "I'm Han Solo." <laughs> there were more than three hundred lines of dialogue uh, that were written with a script of over six 
hundred pages, which is kind of amazing. What's more amazing, Murray, Bill Murray actually uh, uh, decides to get involved and do it. His one request for doing it, which I think is pretty wonderful, was an assurance that Winston Zedmore, the underwritten black character from the movies, would be elevated to full status. Because mm. by this point, they were even not putting him in like deep, like DVD covers oh. and stuff, like Blu-ray the, covers. He I was mean, just, we like, didn't removed. really talk about it, but in video games before this, they would literally just not just put not him have in there. Him. Uh, so that that's a bummer. So it's cool that he fought for that. Also, uh, just a weird thing to um, to just kind of as a side note, uh, they did try and bring the cartoon back in 1997 with uh, Extreme Ghostbusters. Oh God! With uh, in which it kind of it's it's this weird almost canonical sequel to the real Ghostbusters. Uh, Maurice Lamarche once again playing Egon, uh, kind of bestows uh, a new team of Ghostbusters from his paranormal studies class at a New York university. Very forgettable. There was one Ghostbuster in a wheelchair, but there was Kylie Griffin ah. uh, was the cool goth girl who was also <laughs> on the team that has uh, lived forever in the form of deviant art posts, uh, fan fiction, <laughs> and actually makes an appearance in the IDW comics because she was so popular. From wow. Okay. So uh, the plot of Ghostbusters the video game was set two years after Ghostbusters 2 on Thanksgiving Day in 1991. A large PKE shockwave hits New York City, which releases a bunch of ghosts, leading to architect Evo Shandor, who built 55 Central Park West, um, which is the building where they fought Gozer, um, to attempt to replace Gozer as a demigod. And so it's this whole thing. Um, I... I it's. I think it's on PC. It's on PC. Uh, it came out for PC, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. There was I'm also a version for the Wii where they took the dialogue and the cutscenes, but like downgraded the graphics to a more cartoony style. Okay, it's, it's interesting. I kind of want to play it. I kind of. I watched. I watched clips it? of it, and the actual ghost gameplay seems a little like chaotic and not fun it okay. basically involves because you know ghost busting as established in the cartoon right. as a, has like steps where you use the uh, yep. pr- uh proton thrower to like disperse the energy and then once the ghost is weakened you throw it into a trap yeah. uh they then introduce in the game a separate mechanic where you can like slam ghosts around uh you can like build up different attacks and like kind of customize your individual ghost busting play style there is a really sick line at the end of the game, where you're fighting Evo Shandor, who, surprise, it's a video game. The bad guy succeeds and becomes a cool big final boss uh, right. character. Uh, Evo Shandor, his spooky demon face is just like, you can't beat me. I'm a god. And Harold Ramis looks him in the eye and goes, we eat gods for breakfast. And then, like, they cross the streams and beat him. Nice. Never cross the streams, by the way. Always. It's, it works every time. <laughs> I'm just talking about pissing. Oh, uh, so now it is the- always it works every time. <laughs> so now it is the year 2014 after the passing of Her- Harold Ramis rest in peace. Sony decides to reboot the franchise. Uh, now, originally, there was a script being worked on by Reitman, Aykroyd, and Ethan Cohen, who did Tropic Thunder. He's uh, Seth Rogen's writing partner. He's done a lot of good stuff. I love his work. Mm-hmm. Um, and after Ramis' death, Reitman decides to go from director to producer status. Uh, and so that script was tossed away. I would love to see what that script was going to, what was like turning into, because I think that's the kind of young, like writer, good comedy writer that they needed to sort of 
balance it out, bring them up to date, bring more passion into the project, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But um, anyways, once he becomes producer, they bring in Paul Feig, who did Bridesmaids, and Katie uh, Dippold, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think I spelled that wrong. Park, uh, who did Parks and Rec. He, she, she's... She's essentially Paul Feig's writing partner. Parks and Rec, she did The Heat, Spy, you know, Melissa McCarthy vehicles, essentially. Spy is a great comedy film. I need to see it. You I've heard, absolutely it's, I've heard should. it's awesome. It, it's, it got like one of the worst marketing campaigns yeah. I've ever seen for a what movie. What the fuck is that? Because, we'll t- I mean, we're about to get into all that. Mm-hmm. But I remember Bridesmaids had a fucking garbage trailer, too. And then, honestly, as much as you want to say, like, it's it's... It's not just misogyny. I remember seeing that Ghostbusters trailer, which we will talk about in a second, and and it being like, who the fuck made this shit? Tra- this is a bad. I can tell this is a bad trailer because I thought Bridesmaids was going to be bad because of it was the same kind of bad trailer. Who's making these fucking trailers? I, I swear to God, I am not like trying to be Mister Fucking Woke Hero, like performative weirdo. I saw that trailer and genuinely liked it. I was like, okay. I was actually in a weird nostalgic mood. I was hungry for more Ghostbusters. I was missing it in my life. And, you know, they had the cool gear. They had like spooky translucent ghosts. They had, uh, you know, comedic actors that I was a fan of. And I actually wrote a thing for Dorkly that was like, hey, this Ghostbusters trailer is really good. And people and were accusing me of getting of being... paid off by Sony oh, because hilarious. how could I be so blind? And well, I, I'll stupid. never I'll never understand it. And you're allowed to like the trailer. I just I definitely remember watching that before all the reactions and just being like remembering how much I thought Bridesmaids was going to suck because of the Bridesmaids trailer yeah. and being like, it must be the same asshole who made this fucking thing. So anyways, I think trailers are just are hard for selling a comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know though. Oh, it's one of the worst, it's one of the worst things in the world because either they burn every joke in the entire right? movie. Yeah. They, they or, do all the best jokes or they try and like obfuscate it. And then like, you just get a bunch of setups with no payoff. It's very hard. I couldn't believe like, I think the hangover was one of the last comedies I saw in the theater. And I was shocked at how everybody was laughing at jokes. I knew they <laughs> had to have seen in the trailer and they were good jokes, but I'm like, you fucking asshole. Is this really what we're turning into now where you just see the same schlock that you saw 800 times during like the Super Bowl or whatever it was and you're just going to laugh at it again as if it's the first time being delivered to you? Are you that fucking stupid? Wake up, America! Ugh, drives me crazy. Anyways, the let's go into the making up before we move into that trailer business that we've already, a uh, can of worms we've already opened, but oh well. It's starring Kristen Wiig, Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones, the filming took place for about a year from mid-2015 to 2016. There were 1,700 visual effects shots involved under the supervision of a man named Peter Travers. Reitman said, I had a long talk about that with Paul, and I know that he tried to emulate some of that here, where things would be done mechanically the way I did, as opposed to digitally. But the era has shifted, and the audience expectations shift, too. Bullshit! That was my adding into the quote. Mm. He tried to do Slimer as a puppet. I didn't even do that, except for really brief periods. And th- and when we looked at it, it was clear it wasn't strong enough as a puppet because our tolerance of what is visually right has shifted. So he became more of a digital character. It's really pretty spectacular looking. He was able to create effects that I never could have done back in the 80s. About that, um, I saw the movie and it, the CGI ghosts suck. Just suck, dude. Like, I, I, I'm i sorry. It just doesn't... 
It's like there's some cool artistic moments when they try to make New York look like old timey New York in this weird way. They do a lot of good things with color and lighting and the character designs. uh, Some cases, yes. Some cases, no. uh, Do have a cartoony uh, kind of animated quality that I feel like rings more true to Ghostbusters than if they had hired, like, than if they had put no thought into it. Right, or made it, like, weird and modern horror. That wouldn't have worked either. But I'm telling you, man, it just doesn't work with these scenes. And what's funny is, and this kind of actually, they added scenes later, we'll talk about it, but they kind of go into how, like, nobody believes them. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then they're, like, showing videos of, like, and being like, this looks like bullshit. This looks fake. And in my head, I'm like, you're right. It does. I don't buy any of it. It looks terrible. It just looks fucking fake, man. I mean, how many videos of ghosts on YouTube have you ignored despite all the evidence? (laughs) Yeah, but I I want it to look like those more than I want it to look like CGI just bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost like don't make it look as good. It's almost. It's like they're trying to make it look too good in a way. You know what I mean? Whereas if they had kind of fuzzed it up a little bit, taken out a little bit of the focus, made it just look a little bit more mysterious, it would have looked way better than this very defined, very CGI looking thing that was just, it feels like was edited to death. You know what I mean? I mean, it was. Pun intended. But uh, I feel like they they should get a little more credit than that. I feel like they did take concrete steps to kind of differentiate the ghost effects than just standard, like, you know, again, the lighting, the colors, like, you can tell that they had, like, a very deliberate sense of, like, how these characters were, like, uh, more mischievous and playful and ethereal in the world. You know, there was uh, reports that they would, like, use drones and led lights and like really try and like focus more than just having like the tennis ball on a stick and added in post but i don't think they pulled it off yeah it 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 didn't quite work it's not it's not it didn't you know i don't know maybe i'm being too harsh because i'm kind of amped up because i've been thinking about this. when did you watch it last night oh okay this is fresh we talked about i talked about it with lexi for like a really long time and by the way her takeaway i liked it yeah was her takeaway she really enjoyed it like she didn't think so hard about it and i feel like i'm thinking a lot harder about it because i'm comparing it to the first film like everybody else did i'm soaked in it we've been doing research i know the history of the making of Mm -hmm. ghostbusters and i will get to all of that in a second, but let's talk about this YouTube trailer that was totally blown out of proportion. By the way, my thoughts about the trailer sucking, nothing like it's, I didn't write a fucking dumbass YouTube comment about it or get angry that it was an all female reboot per se. Or I do have opinions. Organize an entire like fan rebellion yeah, to make sure idiotic. it was the most downvoted thing in YouTube that, history. That is so idiotic and so uncalled for. And this was my thought in my yeah. head. I was like, I bet that still has potential to be very good. I remember I thought the same thing about Bridesmaids and Bridesmaids I loved and mm-hmm. I love these actresses. I love I love all of them. Melissa McCarthy's fantastic. Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, Leslie Jones. All four of these women have made me laugh my ass off. You've probably off. gotten high with Neil Casey on several occasions. <laughs> yeah, I do know Neil <laughs> Casey well. Um, so, but he was like whatever. Like he's not... He's it's funny that they cast this like comedy guy in the role. He does no comedy. And what's hilarious what was kind of hilarious to me because I'm evil was that like at the end I mean spoiler alert, can I talk about what yeah. happens? At the end of the movie, he ends up like killing himself and then um taking over other people's bodies. Mm-hmm. So he's cut out of like the final third of the movie, like final like giant section yeah. of the movie even though he's the villain. I don't even think they used his voice. I mean, at least in this movie <laughs> it had a villain with actual motivations and not just like 
a ethereal like god force well, that just kind of goes uninterrupted till the final but scene. But I will say this, it yes, it is very by the numbers, Jake. And and that's a lot of why it like there was magic to the first one. Though even though it had these poles in, in that sense, this is the opposite. This is fucking by the number script writing. This is fucking you read the book on screenplays, you read Save the Cat, you did every you know what I mean? Boom bing bang boom by the fucking numbers. Oh, he has a motivation. They even explain how the ghosts sort of all of a sudden are just appearing mm-hmm. because he created this device that's like bringing them out. There's always like a instigating thing. Right, right. But anyways, they still, they just, every corner of it is polished in that sense. It was. It was but it, therefore, yeah. it's fundamentally way less interesting because of that. You know what I mean? There's way less experiment, ex- experimental shit going on and way more like, oh, and then this, and then this. And you're like, yeah, I've seen this movie a million the, fucking times. One of the big things is the tension between the improvi- improvisational yes. nature of the comedy. Yeah. Versus the da 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 yeah. screenwriting, and there's some brilliant moments of that. Sorry to cut you off. No, no, I, I got the thought out. I'm all passionate right now. Can you tell? So, there's, we should, we should. There's brilliant moments of that. But anyways, we'll get there. Let's yeah, talk about yeah. the trailer. Okay. Um. So Reitman says there was no one and a half minute trailer that was going to stand up to that emotionality of what the experience was like. It goes beyond how good or bad a movie is. It goes to kind of a life experience, and he talks about how you know, um. I think there's way too much talk about gender when it comes to this film, he said. And I think that many of the people who were complaining are actually lovers of the original movie, not haters of women. And I would be, and I'm not like a hater of this movie, by the way. Like, I enjoyed it. It just doesn't hold a fucking candle to the first movie. And I don't think it ever could. I think it was doomed from the beginning, and I will explain why in just a second. So the first film trailer collected 12,000 likes and 13,800 dislikes and became the most disliked film trailer on on YouTube with over a million dislikes. Do you want to know the top three most disliked movies on YouTube? I t- or or, or uh, videos on YouTube? One of them's like a Call of Duty thing, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, okay, so you got one. Number one is Baby by Justin Bieber <laughs> with over nine baby, million dislikes. Baby, baby, the second baby. one makes more sense to me. Ugh, and I've seen this one. This is one, the only one of those three that I've seen. It's Everyday Bro uh, by Jake Paul. And that really is the most obnoxious fucking piece of fucking shit oh, thing I've ever seen. Like, one of the most obnoxious, uh, besides the news interview with them and everything. Random update. I actually did put together the Bill Murray or Logan Paul uh, thing on Dorkly. It, no, sh- it should be up by the time this episode's airs. Yes. But yeah, it's just That's a series. Amazing, it's just a list of like someone behaving dickishly in public, yes. and then you have to like figure. You have to choose whether and I get it w- to take the quiz. You get to, it's a quiz. I'm to taking figure. It tonight if it's, it's up. It's not up uh, as of this. As of, oh, yeah, as yeah. of this recording. As and of this then, recording, it's not up. But as of this download, it should be. And then yes, the Call of Duty Infinite Warfare reveal trailer with Jon Snow. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, uh, you know, and then of course uh, you have angry video game nerd, who I'm not a big fan of either, uh, releasing a video about how he won't go see the film because of you know, and people, and I think he had a point. He never mentioned anything this about is gender one of the biggest, in that video. This is but one it was of the, also yeah. just I don't know, man. It's like why do you gotta like what the fuck, dude? It's it's even so if stupid. It's it's, it's what, you know the the very idea that there is. Uh, a patriarchy, the idea that there is an unconscious and all-consuming bias against women in the world is one of the fundamental things that differentiates whether or not you 
are a person that believes in fem- feminist theory. So if you believe in feminist theory, the idea that this uh, in, this beloved nerd figure, uh, the, the one time that he finally put his foot down against crass commercialism in pop culture was the all feel like, like that would actually lend evidence to that idea that, you know, there is a bias because why didn't you put your foot down on all the other shitty reboots in the history of things? But for I, 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 I believe him that when he made that statement, he wasn't like, I hate women, but it's, it's, I, you know, it's an issue that I'm not going to solve in this podcast, yeah. but like you can saying like, Oh, you're, you know, there's clearly a bias happening even if the person who is expressing the opinion doesn't agree that there's a bias, you know, it's that's where conflict will come from. That's right. where the the push and pull. Will that's come kind from. of the tough thing. And that's why, again, I mentioned in the beginning, like when I state how I feel about this movie and how this movie uh, and again, in my opinion, never had a chance. Um, I need you to be like, uh, that's a little, you know what I mean? Because I, I'm so scared of saying some shit as a white man in 2018 <laughs> of saying some fucking shit that pisses a shitload of people off. And I'm so conscious of that. And I, I don't want to do that. You know what I mean? It's, and I, I want to have, and I want to have an open mind about my opinions on this, but I do have opinions on this. Um, uh, so we have another quote uh, f- uh, from Paul Feig on the poor performance of the film. I think it kind of hampered us a little bit because the movie became so much of a cause. I think for some of our audience, they were like, what the fuck? We don't want to go to a cause. We just want to watch a fucking movie, especially when it's like Ghostbusters. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That it that it becomes this bit. You know what I mean? And and I do I do get that. I do get people being like, wait, what's going on? Ah, fuck it. You know what I mean? And I kind of felt that way when it came out. I was like, this just feels so overblown and crazy and I just don't even know and I didn't hear necessary you know when I when people came out of the movie I was like how was it because if people were coming out being like fuck yeah dude it's the real deal I mean again loved bridesmaids love all four of these actresses you absolutely have to watch spy spy is I will totally watch spy because I totally believe you I think Melissa McCarthy's fucking hilarious but I don't think she was well used in this movie and we can we'll talk about that so anyways, uh, Paul Feig also said, it was a great regret in my life that the movie didn't do better because I really loved it. It's not a perfect movie. None of my movies are perfect. I liked what we were doing with it. It was only supposed to be there to entertain people and not be a cause. But the problem is, is that's not fucking true, dude. They added, and this is the problem. They man. added scenes where they literally respond to YouTube comments. Yes. And I was going to, yeah, they actually. Which so, they should. Like, I understand the impulse to like and those stand the scenes- up for yourself, but like. Let, let haters gonna hate yeah like, just just make your movie man then do that but the problem was is that at the end of the day even if paul feig believes in like this all-woman cast on a di- on a deeper level which by the way this is the quote from him and this is so fucking hollywood he has a quote he has his his goal his goal this is the quote to tell a story you haven't seen before or tell a story you've seen before but in a way you haven't seen it the fuck is that no, that just means you want to rehash, then you're not even, what does that mean? So what does it mean? Does it have to do with people's negative emotions? Does it have to do, you know what I mean? And I think you mentioned making cynical choices, and I don't think Paul Feig might not be cynical, but I think Hollywood has this problem where they just see dollar signs because they see what's going on socially, and they're trying to like capture some shit where people really do believe in these things, this in feminism and fighting misogyny, but that's not what fucking some jackass in a Hollywood 
office is thinking when he says, yeah, yeah, all female reboot. Oh, yeah. No, he's thinking money, 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 money. Give me that money. That's what he's fucking thinking. And that's why the whole thing. So, okay, this is the difference, right? And by the way, just to sum up, the film needed at least $300 million to break even. It made a worldwide total of $229 million with a loss of over $70 million. Okay? So it failed really hard. I And this is where I will get to my point about how I don't think it ever had a chance in the beginning. And this is what it's missing that I feel like the original had. And I will, and I will then compare that to Bridesmaids. The original had heart. The original was written by a guy who was genuinely nerdy about the paranormal who gave a big shit about the paranormal. It's a it, it it's based in nerds. It's like uber nerds that get together with a cool guy, with a couple of cool guys, and they sort of make this thing happen. It has a bunch of original ideas in it. It's very, it, it all these, you know, and I know it's based on kind of old-timey, like, go, what we call them, like, Ghostbuster-type movies from, like, the 50s, but for the most part, it was a pretty original idea with Ecto-1, with, you know, all of this pseudoscience about the paranormal that was real like put into it you know and you have at the helm of it Dan Aykroyd who legitimately believes all this shit and is legitimately a nerd about the shit and legitimately wrote this with heart okay now let's compare that to Bridesmaids Bridesmaids Kristen Wiig and her writing partner they wrote this fucking uh, this screenplay that they really believed in that they really loved, you know? And then when Kristen Wiig uh, uh, met with Judd Apatow, he was like, what do you got? And they sent her that, much like when Dan Aykroyd went to Ivan Reitman with his script, right? And then Judd Apatow, and by the way, I just want to throw this out there, could have been Tina Fey, could have been what happened to be a person with a penis, but I really think uh, easily a woman could be this character, you know what I mean, in this story. But Judd Apatow sits down with Kristen Wiig and her writing partner, who was also female, and they like hash it out and refine find it and made it this fucking awesome thing um and then you know paul feegan's up directing it i believe right mm-hmm. um and it's was made with fucking heart you know and that's why bridesmaids is so good that's why ghostbusters is so good and that's why this kind of arbitrary reboot to ghostbusters loses all of that because nobody in that cast nobody you know who wrote on the movie really like cares about the paranormal it doesn't seem they just care about writing like a by the numbers hollywood movie based on a popular franchise and that's why it was always doomed to fail if you want and i think the all-female reboot will always be doomed to fail if it's based off of uh, a franchise that was initially written with heart you know what you should you i'm sorry repeat that i think this i think this if you want a successful all-female reboot it should be a franchise that no one really gives a fuck about that they reinvent and and make fucking interesting and new and i could be proven wrong at some point but it's kind of like you can you can you can say this about anything i would use the example of like doing like the newlyweds you know how there was like the black newlyweds that came out it was like an all-black cast because you can just take a franchise like the newlyweds take a franchise like the brady bunch or like something like that that everyone's like whatever and then do something interesting and new and fun with it you know what i mean and reinvent it and make it an all-female cast but i think if i think it's i will just say this oh by the way i meant to say 95 percent of the time this will happen I do not think that it's impossible, but I think it's really hard to sell to a people who love this thing that was made with love to just like accept this super Hollywood reboot of it with uh, seemingly arbitrarily an all-female cast. You know what I mean? It just that's why it didn't work, man. And that that is my that is my thesis.
Um, there's a few. Okay, please. Without here's the thing: is it's a weird position to you know. It's not fair to this movie that it did have to become this giant focal point for all these massive cultural Super issues. Sucks. Um, Super sucks. The, I do not like that part. The fact is, is that. Um, but I they, agree that he, Paul Feig, even says it himself. He thinks that more. Or Ivan Reitman said he feels deep, deep in yeah. his heart that it wasn't about gender. The reason why people were pissed is because it just seemed like they were fucking remaking this thing that they love, and it was just kind of a, a Hollywood ass Hollywood movie with no soul. That's what I'm saying, and that's what he even said in that quote. There, the movie is flawed. Uh, one more so than like what you described. I think it's just the tension between the improv kind of uh, new comedy style bits that like would you know like part of the appeal of it is that you know some bits go on a little too long to make it feel more natural but the first movie was based in deeply based in improv but it was still cut like way sh- it was still cut like a little more and maybe uh, the whole script yeah. was looser also, right yeah the whole script also, was looser. there are massive editing issues in this movie there are weird cuts there are entire uh-huh. plot points that get glossed over and kind of like smashed together i don't know what the fuck happened in that editing room? But like, well, I, I, I sort of believe that there's like something there. Uh, I wish there are flashes of genuine brilliance and char- and charisma. Kate McKinnon's character in the entire movie is infinitely watchable She's and great. super compelling. I love her. I love her in the movie. Also, fuck everybody. I honestly, I, I, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe I'll see the error of my ways later yeah. on. But I think you're fucking racist if you want to sit there and say that Leslie, yeah. Leslie, that Leslie Jones was this racist caricature of a black woman in the movie. That is her. Yeah. Like fuck yourself. You're the fucking racist. No, you that over was, the top. That's person trying, internet person. I hate you. No, I hate what you do, you internet person. No, that's like the classic internet thing where like they like half remember something that someone got called out on for like a, a bad like portrayal of a black person. So annoying. And dude. like and like we're like, haha, by your own logic, this is bad. But like, no, you just lack nuance. Um But there's also confusion like Melissa McCarthy is supposed to be this nerd, but she plays it way too cool. I think actually if they shuffled the parts, it would have been more interesting. I think I would have liked maybe to see her as the Kristen Wiig part. Um, Kristen Wiig plays the nerd, but she's also the Bill Murray character. She's profoundly uninteresting in this movie because I think in her playing the nerd, like, and I know she's an actress, and I know the argument is like, well, she's an actress, she should be able to play whatever. But I do believe that because Dan Aykroyd was like genuinely a fucking nerd, it was came across so much better and so much more real. She, but she, she played a more like no, there was it was a more because she played a more straight laced by the rules kind of yeah, uh, confined person, which is what boring. nerd kind of. But what do you? But she's like one of the best comedic actresses. Yes. on the like on the planet, and she's so badly used in this movie like I, I mean I hate to say it because he's a man but one of the best parts of the movie I think was Chris Hemsworth who plays a f- complete fucking idiot he plays oh, yeah. the second I actually thought I was going to be like eye rolly about him because I thought he was going to be more about how hot he is but in fact he plays he has some good dumb guy bits he has a shitload of good dumb guy bits and and the way they react it's not just him it's the way that they react to him is super funny like their chemistry together with him is great and I I think when they are riffing and they're just doing like the improv stuff, there's a lot of good stuff in there. It just almost felt like 
unlike the first movie, they weren't, they had such a by the number script that they were so confined by it that it was hard to get bits in there that weren't already like written into it. You know what I mean? And the ones that were written into it were incredibly, again, I'm, I'm going to say by the numbers comedy beats. I'm just shocked you're not calling out the gravest uh, sin of this movie, which is that fucking dated Ozzy Osbourne Sharon reference yeah. in a 2016 movie. What are you doing? All right. Yeah. These are okay. So that was okay. And I laughed throughout it. Also, I, I, oh, meant, when, uh, I meant to preface when she has the when Leslie Jones has the demon on her shoulder. That's like a good bit. That was a good bit. Uh, that how band, much, what though, a, was horrible. That I don't know, was a, what the fuck? We're at a metal show. That band's not a metal. So these are <laughs> this is the two points that I would I, I would sure. like to make in its defense. I also real quick. Yeah. Can I I meant to preface before I got into all this yeah. with my nerd rage. Um, I can't really watch comedies well anymore. I oh, mentioned yeah, how yeah, The yeah. Hangover was like the last movie I saw, comedy movie I saw in the theaters. I'm I don't really watch comedy movies. I have a hard time doing it. It doesn't like I don't no, enjoy them like you I see used the Matrix to. code. It's too much. It's too much. And so I also feel like a lot I don't of watch my stand up anymore. Feelings and arguments are heavily tainted by. And I mm. just want to say, I really hope I didn't say anything that comes across no, like you're a not... fucking asshole. I really was scared about talking about this. To be mm. honest with. With you but I also was hit with some very profound thoughts especially when I started to research how Bridesmaids was made and comparing that to the first Ghostbusters and I guess my my conclusive statement is fuck this shit man come up with something new with comedy like don't do this to let Ghostbusters be man don't don't like stop so my two points are um, if Paul Feig had managed to keep it under into a reasonable budget the movie would have done just fine. The exact same amount of people would have seen it, and it would have be just another decent action comedy. And if it had looked cheap on, like it did on purpose in the first Ghostbusters, it probably would have been more charming and more interesting. Uh, but here's the thing is part of the part of the the weird fucking gross mess that is the world we live in is this movie. Uh, was a little too formulaic, was edited poorly, and just kind of cashed in on a name. Um, and that experience gave you an entire, like, overarching battle plan on how best to handle gender in movies for yeah. in the future. Whereas every other male-driven movie that just also makes the same kind of fuck-ups, you just let wash away, like, yesterday's piss. Yeah. And, uh, you know, lots of franchises... Uh, evolve and try and change things around. Hell, Michael Bay has open disdain for the Transformers franchise, and those uh -huh. movies do great, even though they have fan pushback. It's not this giant cultural touchstone. No. Um, and and again, the other thing, mm -hmm. this is the last thing, is I saw the movie opening opening night with uh, my girlfriend Marie and some of her friends, and the theater was packed with uh, nerdy women, like just like black T-shirts, glasses, uh, half Wiccan, half goth, half, uh, you know, fan shippers, fan fiction writers, and they had a blast. Fuck yeah, and, and Lexi grow, enjoyed and it. Growing up, uh, Marie, uh, you know, her dad would make her watch Ghostbusters anytime it was family movie night. Her brother had a ton of Ghostbusters stuff, and she loved Ghostbusters, but there was no entry point. She you know, the there was no female Ghostbuster. They tried in the real Ghostbusters cartoon, but it was always like a rare, a rare like one-off thing where Janine got to put on the proton pack, and then they like ruined her character during the weird revamp. Um, and so, just the image of having women get to fulfill these roles was genuinely empowering and genuinely enjoyable for uh, her. And the you know s several you know the hundred or so women that were in the audience uh, with me and their very nice boyfriends. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, and so the fact that the movie didn't was not perfect, but was still like fun popcorn sure. uh, empowerment fantasy for them. Like, why is that a cause for a, uh, a a tectonic shift in how we approach things and not just yet another okay wish fulfillment fantasy adventure like any other? And that's, that is the two things I will say in defense of it. Um, whether, and that, again, with the, if they had fucked their budget right, there are enough Marie's out there. There are enough Lexi's out there that this movie would have been fine. In fact, when these same, uh, you know, when a female director and a female lead do Wonder Woman, it breaks the box office records because they had it. their shit together. And loved, and loved Bridesmaids. Yeah. Again, like, this is not like the first time, you know, Bridesmaids was kind of groundbreaking too, though, and very pretty recently so with the all-female comedy cast and everything. So it is, it, you know, and I feel like people really supported the fuck out of that. I literally yeah. think, I really do think, I really, as much as, I I agree that there are major problems with gender bias and things like that. I think it was just the wrong, just picked one of the few fucking wrong movies to do it with. No, they could have done it. There's, I feel like even I, I, with I, I was gonna someone say, out there me, with you know, the raw I footage, know I could be proven wrong. You can, I know you I can, can turn The Phantom wrong. Menace into a good movie with like proper editing. Yeah, you think it was the editing? I genuinely then, think the editing, the editing was... editing and the trailer, right? The editing and the trailer in a certain way. I mean, I don't care. Like, bad trailers are just the state of comedies. But I genuinely think uh, with a better edit, that movie could be infinitely more watchable. But I think it's a really hard. I think it's really hard. I would say my personal opinion... Do and the other example I was going to make, even though it's just uh, also you're allowed to not like this movie. Yeah, yeah. In, in fact, it's we're having a discussion about Ghostbusters. Also, it d- is super relevant. It's if you if I you're didn't that guy like it, I yeah. just wasn't at all. You know, it's just one of those where it's just like, yep, uh huh, okay. If you're like Another still one of these. raging against this movie, though, like out of I, like out of nowhere, then like check yourself. Yeah, yeah. But like, I'm not raging. Yeah, you're fine. You I, are so fine. Do I not only worry. rage when I start talking about the heart thing because I think it's so true, and I think that. You know, people want new ideas. They want interesting concepts, especially in comedy. Did you not see when Kate McKinnon put, busted out proton dualies? That was fucking, fun. That was fucking rad. That was fun. You know, there's stuff. There's stuff in it that has its moments. I just, uh, yeah, I would much rather. And by the way, I, I think also, too, even just making the choice of having Kristen Wiig be in, involved in the writing mm-hmm. would have made a massive difference. Mm-hmm. Just have it because I really do think that the magic of Ghostbusters has so much to do with Aykroyd and Ramis and the fact that the them and the director went to Martha's Vineyard for what two weeks straight and busted this script out and that's why it and then they're all in it they're all involved in it and that has so much to do and that's exactly what Bridesmaids was and it's just like can you not see the formula it's not about product it's about formula. Like, do the formula. And I think that if, you know, they had this brilliant new reinvention of Ghostbusters that had new interesting concepts in it that weren't just a rehash or an extension of the old concepts or a retelling of, you know, how they got this and how they did that, I think that, again, that movie would have been cool. But it's like... Instead, it's literally just like, all right, we're going to remake Ghostbusters. We're going to retell the story, reboot the franchise, but with an all-female cast. Is but ne- it's just so Bill hard Murray to pull off. Bill Murray finally got his wish. 
He got to die in a Ghostbusters movie. He did. He did get to die in a Ghostbusters movie, and that was fun. Okay, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this long-as-fuck episode of Where's the Bruiser? Um, uh, If you want to support us further on Patreon.com, it's Patreon.com forward slash WizBrew, and you can follow me on Twitch.tv forward slash HoldenatorsHo. Thank you to our patrons uh, who are responsible for the episode you're listening to right now. Uh, So, uh, yeah, definitely check out that Patreon, and, uh, you know, if you feel like there's a topic we've been ignoring... You can just pay us to do yeah, it. Yeah, you can literally just uh, pay us Follow to me it. on Twitter, at BestJakeYoung. <laughs> uh, I also contribute things to dorkly.com. And uh, as always... Oh, fuck. Keep on whizzing. And never stop bruising. Woo, baby, we got to sign off. <laughs> Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.